0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, about emergency preparedness. Then Daniel Barnett has a conversation about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is tomorrow. In about 20 minutes, courtesy of 10TV, Scott Light will have a roundtable discussion about various political issues. And I'll wrap up the hour with Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Kevin Smith. He's the director of the Department of Homeland Security Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives of FEMA. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm good. Good morning, Dave.
0: Thanks for talking to us. Tell me about that office. What is it that you folks do?
1: Uh, uh, Around uh, around human causes in communities all around the country, you find that faith-based organizations are on the front line serving people. And across the components of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, whether it's within FEMA or our border, um, our borders like CBP um, and immigration issues we work with faith-based organizations to help care for people around the uh, around the country and make sure that there's no limitations to the services that they can provide because we know they're always on the front line our job is just kind of stand beside and help make sure there's no barriers to keep them from doing what they do so well and serving others. Uh, And in times of uh, disaster, obviously, as we talk about preparedness and response and recovery, those organizations, the same ones, step up often and are the first ones responding to help care for people's needs. So I'm just there to be their champion and to find ways to help support what they do every day.
0: And in forwarding that, you're here to talk about uh, the campaign Resolve to be Ready.
1: That's right. I, I mean, we're, excited to talk about, we do a lot of resolutions this time of year, but one of them we want people to think about is to resolve to be ready, both prepare themselves and their families uh, and their communities to be ready for uh, disasters. Uh, Many people just uh, have heard over and over year after year, they hear these moments of get ready, have your disaster kit, but we still find that people don't actually take action. They're like, we'll do that later. And yet, unfortunately, we find that many people get caught off guard because they never take that action. So this year, we want people to make a resolution to actually take action and get out there, put their plan together, involve their whole family, not just moms and dads. And we want people to put their whole family in this and So that we have uh, a more resilient nation because if they prepare, we know that they'll be able to bounce back quicker if disasters do happen.
0: And uh, it seems like the timing couldn't be better uh, in terms of making the point that you just never know what's going to happen. Because here we are in Ohio in the middle of the wintertime when you would think maybe a severe blizzard might be the problem. But last weekend, two tornadoes touched down in western Ohio and Miami County uh, around Troy didn't uh, cause any injuries but a little bit of damage done there.
1: That's right. I mean and whether it's flooding, whether it's an ice storm, snowstorms, you know, and we talk about earthquakes and our hearts and our prayers go out to the folks in Puerto Rico, wherever you are, you know the hazards that you you've had before. Well, they may be earlier in the year, they may be a little bit later in the year, but you already know that we, we have long stories of those that have been in Ohio that can tell you about the floods, the tornadoes. And what we all know about the hazards. What we need to do is actually start, people start thinking about how are they going to recover? You know, what is their step for their family financially? You know, most people don't even have access to as, as little as $400 in cash And yet they find themselves in a disaster when power is out and they don't have any access to any way to go get the basic needs in the community. So we want people to take steps and resolve to be financially prepared. We want people to think about what does my insurance actually cover? We want people to look and say, you know, most people don't even know that flood insurance isn't a part of their basic insurance plan. So we want people to go and think about their flood insurance get flood insurance on their pro, on their uh, insurance profile so that they don't become a victim of disaster. They become a survivor, and they can be there to help the rest of the community. And we know Ohio has seen its share of uh, flooding disasters and tornadoes. So this isn't something far off in some other land. This is something right home and personal across Ohio that we want people to start making a resolution to be better prepared so that we can bounce back as a community.
0: Yeah, if you're not familiar with, you know, your insurance policies or if you have funds available to, to hit a hotel or something when you come home after a severe storm and, you know, you've got part of your roof blown off, you've added another crisis on top of what is already a crisis.
1: That's right. And you know, most disasters aren't these huge disasters. Most, actually, most disasters are small. They're community based, and they're not these mega disasters that everybody sees on TV. And uh, so, so we need people to think about the fact that most disasters are local, and it's their local community that comes together to help each other recover. And usually, when we do that, we think of ourselves as family units. We think of ourselves as working together as a community. It helps us. Bounce back and imagine a community that's not only resilient because we have great flood move water movement and all these great infrastructure, but think of ones that actually are financially prepared that the disaster isn't compounding to existing financial crisis, it actually is a community that can better respond to serve those that may not be able to put um, financial um, resources together to be able to bounce back. And then our generosity and our human spirit around this. Country Can come together and help others. But that doesn't happen if people aren't taking that can, by the way, the people that can take measures to be prepared, if they're not doing that, then how are we going to help each other? So we really want to look at the more people that can take these measures to be financially prepared to look at their insurance to understand what's covered and what's not covered. And what we do as a family and how we involve our kids, our parents, the parents in Florida, uh, or the parents that are somewhere else, how are we going to communicate with them that we are safe? And if we can do that, if we start having a resolution to be ready for 2020, our communities, we're going to build a resilient nation uh, by doing that. Neighbor to neighbor, community to community, and as the United States, that's what we're all about, caring for each other.
0: Talking with Kevin Smith, director of the Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives with FEMA. You mentioned uh, having an emergency supply kit in your press release here. What, uh, what should be included in that?
1: Well, you know, I, I love we have We have a great uh, online toolkit. You can actually download the FEMA app. Uh, you can just go on your App Store or your um, uh, your Google Play. You can go on there and you can download the FEMA app. And it's actually got some directions on tools, things for you to have in your disaster supply kit. Everybody thinks about it, right? We think about uh, we need canned goods. We need flashlights. And we need all this stuff. And I've just said to folks before, I've said, not only do I want you to build that get, that go kit, that family kit, But why don't you take an opportunity, maybe on a Sunday night when the kids are still home, or maybe on a Saturday night where they don't have school in the morning, let's get together and actually have a night where we turn off the power in our house, sit around and say, let's see what we have in our go kit to see if we would make it through just one night without power. And you know what we turn out is? Not everybody likes the ravioli that we have in our pantry. (laughs) Not everybody likes the whatever the soup is. We want people to try it. Look at what your your family will eat around the table, what goes into that supply kit. Try to walk around the house in the dark, see what it's like, because the more we test and actually see what it's like to be in the dark, to be without power, we actually start putting stuff in that supply kit that we need as a family. So when we give you tools like on the FEMA app um, or at our ready.gov, which is a great website for resources. We don't want to prescribe to your family what your family needs. We want you to know what goes in your kit. And if you can't come up with it, we've got some resources. But the more you practice, the more you think about it for what your family needs, that's what we want people to start taking as a measure. Because you can't buy it within five hours before the storm, especially when we think about a tornado that may be coming to the area. You don't have a warning and you can't run to the store and rip it all off the shelves. So we want people to practice, get out there, learn what your family wants and needs, and we know that that will change behavior.
0: That's great advice, because we've had uh, situations here in Ohio in the in the winter time in recent years where ice storms have knocked out power for, you know, five days very near the downtown area. We were out here at the station for five days a few years ago, and we're, uh, you know, a mile from the middle of downtown. So... Certainly something to, to be aware of. Kevin, again, where's the website where folks can find out more?
1: Uh, you can either download the FEMA app on your App Store or Google Play, or you can go to www.ready.gov. And on that website, there's tons of tools for helping to build that supply kit and resolve to be ready for 2020.
0: Okay, Kevin Smith, Director of the Department of Homeland Security Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives with FEMA. Thanks so much for the information today.
1: Thank you, Dave. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening.
3: 180 over 111, and I had a stroke.
0: 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan.
4: Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day when many people have the day off from work or school and choose to spend that time with family or friends. But when you look back at the history of MLK Day, it was intended by Congress to be a day of service, a day on rather than a day off. Thanks for staying tuned to Columbus Perspective. I'm Daniel Barnett. Today I'm speaking with Barbara Stewart, CEO of the Corporation for National and Community Service, and we're talking today about the MLK Day of Service coming up tomorrow. Barbara, welcome to Columbus Perspective. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Barbara. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. My pleasure. This year marks 25 years of the MLK Day of Service. Can you give us a little bit of a a history of how that came about and how MLK Day became the first National Day of Service?
3: Absolutely. 25 years ago, Congress made the Martin Luther King holiday an official day of service, a day on as opposed to a day off. And this really reflects the important legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his passion for service, and I think it is a wonderful way to recognize all that he did in a way that's very impactful within everyone's local community.
4: This will sound like an obvious question, but I'd like to hear it in your words. Why is this day of service a fitting tribute to Dr. King?
3: Well, Dr. King's legacy really was about service. He has a wonderful quote, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And I think that really summarizes so much of what his legacy was about and also what the opportunity is to serve in a community. The benefits to the community are very obvious, but there are also really meaningful benefits to individuals who take the time to serve in terms of personal growth and connections with others in their neighborhood.
4: And this is a holiday, obviously, that w- that we all observe, but uh, maybe don't observe in the way that it was intended. Um, can you talk about some of the projects uh, around the country that are used to observe this day of service?
3: Absolutely. There are thousands of projects throughout the entire country, a project in every single state, and many, many projects in Ohio where Ohio residents can choose to serve. Uh, there are a lot of one-day projects that happen on Martin Luther King Day that might be about repairing a school or improving a play lot or a park or serving food in a food pantry, that sort of thing. But we're hoping and our intention is that service on the Martin Luther King holiday encourages folks to serve throughout the year. And on top of that, I would say that for those who cannot serve because they have other commitments for the holiday or they may be working, it's a great time of year to commit to volunteer in the coming weeks and months.
4: So each state has at least one participating project. Can you tell us a little bit about where Ohio and even Columbus stack up in the day of service?
3: Sure. Uh, Generally, Ohio is uh, 23rd as a state in terms of formal service in nonprofit organizations. But Americans serve in many informal ways, and actually more than 60 percent of Ohio residents either serve with organizations or help their neighbors in very informal ways or contribute to charity. So there's many ways that Americans engage with one another, help to strengthen their own community. And Martin Luther King Day is a great launching pad if listeners are interested in doing something different on Martin Luther King Day that will allow them to experience all of the benefits of volunteerism and service.
4: Once again, I'm speaking with Barbara Stewart, the CEO of the Corporation for National and Community Service. And Barbara, let's talk about your organization for just a moment leading up to the day of service. Is there a way that people can contact you or visit a website to learn about participating projects in their area?
3: Yes. Serve.gov is our website, and it will help Listeners identify opportunities for the Martin Luther King holiday and also opportunities for volunteering throughout the year. So I'd encourage folks to go to serve.gov. Another great way of finding service opportunities is to ask your church or synagogue or local school because there's a lot of informal projects also that pop up on Martin Luther King Day that listeners would really enjoy.
4: Now, does your organization get advance notice about some of the kinds of projects that are taking place this year? Is there any way you could tell us about some of the projects that are coming this Monday?
3: We do, and our website, serve.gov, uh, provides a full and complete list of them. But to give you a sense of the kind of things people do, uh, there are frequently build in and repair home projects, Uh, Habitat for Humanity and other organizations organize both one day as well as uh, ongoing opportunities to build and repair homes. Park and playground cleanup is a really popular project on the Martin Luther King holiday, as well as uh, projects within schools, beautification or paint or repair. Lots of good one-day projects that occur in honor of Dr. King on the Martin Luther King holiday as well as opportunities to continue to serve that might include mentoring or tutoring a student or supporting a food pantry or a soup kitchen in the neighborhood.
4: Now, the Corporation for National and Community Service has um, many different arms, many different branches. Can you talk about some of the other programs that you oversee and ways that people could maybe get involved with those to help throughout the year? Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. So we are the federal agency for service and volunteering. We run some well-known programs such as AmeriCorps and Senior Corps. Uh, On our website, again, at serve.gov, there are opportunities to sign up for those programs, which are concentrated opportunities to serve in the community for individuals of all ages. Um, And our website also lists volunteer opportunities. Some Americans have the... Ability and passion to serve in a very concentrated way through AmeriCorps or Senior Corps. Others uh, serve uh, with less frequency, but similarly impactfully through volunteer service throughout the year.
4: If I may ask, how did you come to be the CEO of the Corporation for National and Community Service?
3: Oh, Daniel, I love that question. So I became engaged with service as a young person, uh through watching my mother. My mother was very engaged in the community as a volunteer, and so I joined her when I was young, but really came into my own as a young adult, uh, engaging in service both hands-on and in a board capacity in a variety of organizations. So I attribute my passion for service to my mother, and our hope is that Dr. Martin Luther King's history of service will inspire millions of Americans to engage in volunteerism by serving on the Martin Luther King holiday this year.
4: And once again, if folks want to learn more about the Corporation for National and Community Service, how do they reach out to you?
3: Serve.gov is the best place. That's our website. It lists volunteer opportunities. It helps to explain more about how to get engaged with AmeriCorps and Senior Corps. And it really provides a terrific overview of the benefits of service.
4: Barbara, thank you so much for speaking with me today and for all the work that you're doing to help organize this day of service.
3: Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the time. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting.
2: You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you, A, get spiritual.
5: Mom, where's the mirror?
3: Beauty is
5: within.
2: Oh. B. Find the positives.
5: Less time blow-drying, more time texting.
2: Or C. Show empathy.
5: Mom, you really don't have twinsies. I kind of love
6: it. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just
2: the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council.
0: Courtesy of 10TV, here is Scott Light from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Here's Scott.
2: President Trump kicked off his 2020 campaign with a stop in Toledo. I'm
1: thrilled to hold the first rally of 2020 right here in the great state of Ohio.
2: He was also met by both angry chants and avid support. Outside the Huntington Center, it was a little bit of a different story. Protesters lined the streets of downtown Toledo, rallying against the Keep America Great rally. We're gonna talk about that and a whole lot. We'll talk about the week in politics and public affairs first. We say good morning. Welcome to Face the State. I'm Scott Light. I've got a great group of guests this morning. Let me introduce you to them right now. Former Franklin County Auditor Clarence Mingos goes back with us. He has served the public for nearly three decades in various roles. Clarence is also a veteran of the 1991 Persian Gulf War. Veteran journalist Laura Bischoff is back at the table. She covers the State House, government, and politics for Dayton Daily News. And we also welcome state representative Dr. Beth Liston. She serves the 21st District. She is a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at OSU you. Welcome all and Happy New Year to you. Happy
7: New Year. Thank
2: you. Let's start off with a visit from the commander in chief. In fact, we'll we'll say it this way. We'll set it up this way. If the Midwest again determines who occupies the White House after 2020, President Trump could have opened up his Midwestern swing in Pennsylvania, Michigan or Wisconsin. But he kicked things off right here in Ohio in Toledo. Here's the president.
1: Ohio just had The best year economically in the history of your state. A billion dollars of agricultural product and the manufacturers and the car companies. And we brought a lot of car companies into Ohio. You know that. A lot of them are coming in. A lot of them have already been brought in. They're coming in from Japan. They're coming in from all over the world. This is where they want to be. They want to be in the United States. That's where the action is.
2: Okay, so there's a lot to digest there, both in a fact-checking way in terms of what things look like here in Ohio. Laura, start us off here. Um, As I mentioned, the president could have gone anywhere if the Midwest determines the presidency again. Why do you think he started off in Ohio?
7: Because you can't, you know, Republicans don't win the presidency without winning Ohio. That's Mm -hmm. just a, you know, a truism. Um, I think that uh, he doesn't want to take Ohio for granted. Mm -hmm. I do think uh, he he won Ohio by what? eight points eight last points, time. Yep. So I Maybe think that he wants to votes, yeah. he wants to make sure that that's uh, locked in, in the bank, and the way to do that is to come back over and over again.
2: Okay. Clarence Bingo, is that a safe strategy? I think
6: always. it's a very safe strategy. It's been proven and, and tested and, and always prevails for re- Republicans. I think this is increasingly is a red state. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm President Trump, rather than making the rounds in Ohio, uh, Scott, I'm making the rounds in the halls of Congress. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. consulting our European allies, and mm-hmm. I'm beginning to give definition to the circumstance that happened to Iran, I don't think from a political standpoint this was the week uh, to hold a rally uh, when the world and the nation are caught in this turmoil as a result of a strategic decision. That does not seem to be um, justified or well conceived, at least in the minds of most foreign policy experts. So
2: wrong play in terms of holding a rally given the strike in Iran. Okay. Let's come back to Ohio. And I have a feeling our, our Democrat who's at the table would have some things to say about the state of Ohio. The president saying just blanket that this is 2019 was the greatest year ever in Ohio economically. Um, we're still in the bottom 15 representative when it comes to job growth. The Midwest, the arrows have been pointing down on job growth and wages. And there's also this: Ohio could actually lose more jobs in 2019 for the first time since 2009.
5: Sure, um, I think you're right. I, I think it's you know important that people see where things are. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think uh, people in Ohio are really smart. Hmm. They're gonna look at what they're feeling. You and I, we can all sit and discuss which numbers are the most important. Mm -hmm. You know, if unemployment is low, does that mean people are leaving the workforce? Mm -hmm. If people have jobs, does that mean that they're making a living wage and they're able to support their families? I think Ohioans are gonna make the judgment for themselves. They're gonna look at what they're feeling in their lives, at what their families are feeling, they're going to look around at communities, and they're going to make the choice for themselves mm. as to which numbers to believe in, and what the economy is in Ohio.
2: It's interesting talking to his supporters. I was I was in Toledo talking to a lot of them, both on camera and off. And this one lady said we were talking about you know maybe sometimes this president has a um, why don't we say an elastic relationship with the truth sometimes. <laughs> uh, but this one this one supporter of his, she said, "Listen, I don't care about his Twitter feed." I don't care what he says. He's an alpha male, America is strong, and he says what I believe. I mean, that is a visceral connection that this man has to people. Well,
7: I think that's something that's a strong thing. That's something that the president is very adept at, is Mm -hmm. to make that emotional appeal Mm -hmm. and connection with people. And, you know, he won in 2016 in large part by talking to people who felt like they were left behind and that they were... Uh, you know, not part of the political process. Uh, you know, he got tons of people to vote who hadn't really been participating in the process in the, in the past. And, um, you know, his elastic relationship with the truth, um, you know, I think a lot of politicians recognize that you tell people what they want to hear and you repeat it over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, it just, with President Trump, it seems, I mean, there's documentation that he... Stretches of the truth mm-hmm. beyond what even most politicians do.
2: Clarence Mingo, you've you've run for office. You, you know what it's like to try to make that connection. And if you if you do put the politics aside, you know I don't care if you're a politician or you're a corporation. If you can know your. Customer, so to speak, your supporter, that well. Yeah. Again, that's a pretty powerful thing. It is. It, it's a
6: powerful thing, and, and it's a gift uh, that 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 some leaders have, and that they they can connect with the constituency in such a way that it matters not what they do and what they say, they will be believed. Um, in this case, I just so happen to believe it's a dark gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the subject matter of the presidency and the business of the United States, uh, although it's never been executed perfectly by any president. Um, We are now in very dangerous waters when the president can say things that we know patently on their face, simply not true, Mm. and no matter what those words are or what that action is, there's a certain class of Americans who will believe it and will stand by it. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous phenomenon, I think, for any culture to follow almost blindly the Mm. words, rhetoric, and action of a leader. I think we have to be thoughtful, and I say that respectfully towards uh, many friends and brethren who support President Trump, Mm I understand the rationale there Mm -hmm. in in certain respects, but there are a dozen other categories in which uh, it'd be almost impossible if not dangerous, to defend and stand by the president. And I think now we need uh, the leaders in America Senate, um, leaders in other uh, important aspects of government to stand up and call some of the the nonsensical rhetoric out for what it is, chastise the president, and hold him accountable for the conundrum that we increasingly find ourselves Hmm. in economically,
2: militarily, and now culturally. Let me switch it up, and I want to go to another Ohio headline, and it came from Mike Bloomberg's campaign this one made my eyes bug out a little bit from the dispatch, and is talking about his big push in Ohio. 60 staffers in the Bloomberg camp wants to open up 13 field offices. At last check, and Laura, please correct me if I'm wrong here, Elizabeth Warren's campaign only had five paid staffers at this point. Representative Liston, money can, money can buy a whole lot, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. 60 staffers and yes. 13 field offices.
5: Yeah, that's a lot, Um, but I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, Mm. that the way to win, the way to build in politics is to connect and establish trust. And 13 field offices means that there's a lot of people going out to individual houses, to people in communities, and asking them, what's important to you? So I I think it's great that people in Ohio have this opportunity to share the issues that matter um, with some of our nation's leaders. I think that, you know, uh Michael Bloomberg has been a voice in public health and I think that mm-hmm. health is so important in Ohio we're facing a lot of different health challenges and so I think that will resonate. But it's interesting cuz Bloomberg is is
7: employing a completely different strategy than completely. he's mm-hmm. kind of skipping the first states and he's mm-hmm. really betting on Super Tuesday and the later the later states and he's got such a bottomless pit of money that, you know, he he'll be able to sustain that. Um and you know he's putting his money where his mouth is or his his money and his mouth where he, you know he wants he wants to be president and we know you know what you're saying Donald Trump never put that kind of skin in the game personal skin in the game um, but he but he won with his message mm-hmm. and his appeal to the people. so the question is is whether or not bloomberg can um, will he be in the state to make uh um, connections with large grouts mm-hmm. um, and, and small
2: settings. Yeah. Let me do this. Let me take a break. We're off to a great start. You were talking about health care. We're going to talk about that coming up because healthcare care problems may seem like a, a grown up issue. Not true. Straight ahead, the trouble our state is having keeping its kids healthy.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
1: Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Wounded Warrior Project provides these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence at no cost for life. So now it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Join us at findwwp.org.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Coming up in about 12 or 13 minutes, Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. But first, back to Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Let's talk health care and health insurance, because we got some numbers a few days ago here in Ohio, and we're nearly leading the country on a statistic where you don't want to be the front runner. Uninsured children. Take a look at these numbers. More Ohio children without health insurance. We're now the third highest nationally. And last year, 12,000 young people in our state, or I should say over the last three years, 12,000 lost coverage from two thousand sixteen to two thousand eighteen. We will go to the person here at the table who has MD in her title. <laughs> State Representative Doctor Beth Liston. She serves the twenty first district. She is a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at OSU. What happened here, Doctor Liston? Um
5: so I think that there's a lot of things that came into play. There was a lot of confusion about whether the chip funding was gonna continue, which is you know, the children's health insurance program, whether, you know, what how to get enrolled in medicaid i I think there's a lot of barriers to doing that we talk a lot about how to make sure that people who need health care get it and we talk a lot about how to make sure people who really qualify and deserve health medicaid get it in the end we're putting up barriers to, to Things like kids getting health care. I think that policies that create those barriers um, are bad for kids, are bad for Ohio.
2: Former Franklin County Auditor Clarence Mingo. Ohioans
6: uh, reading this headline across the board are disturbed. Um, On the bright side, Scott, uh, we have a governor who is taking this very seriously and is committed to taking action above the politics. Uh, So there's a path. This has to be solved. Um, I think there's also um, good opportunity here for the state's legislators, both Republican and Democrat, uh, to really get at uh, ground zero and survey the consequence and, and impact of this phenomenon, because I think when they do that, they see this is not Obamacare, uh, this is not about uh, you know, policies emanating from, from Washington or the 2020 election, it's about uh, the blood and life of our state, mm-hmm. and that's our kids, mm-hmm. so... Um, a little bit of hope and opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Lots of lessons learned. We have to do better. And I think this is a unifying point for Ohio. Ohioans at a time when there are very few unifying points.
2: Veteran journalist Laura Bischoff is back at the table. She covers the State house, government and politics for Dayton Daily News. Laura, pick up on that because Governor DeWine has put a stake in the ground here. He wants this to be part of his legacy whenever he leaves office of influencing in a positive way the life of Ohio children.
7: Sure. His focus um, in his first year was uh, mostly on children and, and families. And um, the overarching theme is kind of safety. He's looked at lead poisoning, reducing that, um, increasing home visits for at-risk um, pregnant women and new moms and their, and their babies. Um, <clears throat> so Dr. Liston's right, like um, public health and the health of kids has been a big focus of his. You know, clearly this is a disturbing trend. It's got to be reversed. Kids develop very rapidly, and there's no do-overs for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and to, to that point, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, I think this is the recommendation, they recommend 15 well visits by the time a child is six, sure. and they want most of them to come before that child is two. Isn't that right, Dr. Liston? Yeah,
5: absolutely. There is so much that we do in those first you know X number of years, first five right. or six years, both in terms of a guidance for parents, Um, And for the kids themselves in terms of immunizations Mm -hmm. and monitoring growth really picking up on some of the Chronic issues early, so it's critical that we have kids um, have access to health care that they have insurance I agree the governor has really been focused on kids and making sure that they get insurance I'm a little concerned about the barriers that we sometimes look at for Medicaid and I think that's part of the issue
6: I think Scott conservative or liberal there has to be a path in the state where we agree upon two things without barrier. Every child uh, is fed, and every child has high quality medical mm-hmm. care. No barriers, straight path there. We'll figure out a way to pay for it. We're figuring out a way to pay for a thousand things. Yes, right. But these two items, at least for children, we can do that. Yeah. We, food we can, and
2: healthcare yeah, should yeah. be a those should are, be a baseline. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, I want to switch it up, and I want to go to some census data. And I saw a column this week from CNN's Chris Saliza, and he looked back at the last 30 years of census data. It's interesting when we get numbers like this over the decade. Um, The congressional seat winners in terms of states in the last 30 years have been these in this order. Texas, Florida, Arizona, Georgia, Colorado, and North Carolina. The congressional seat losers in terms of the states that have lost seats over the last 30 years in this order. It's New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Michigan. I also did a little bit of a history check here. In the 1960s, Ohio had 24 congressional seats. And then the thinking is, after the 2020 census, we are gonna lose another seat, at least Michigan and Pennsylvania. And to Saliza's point, he said this, the 30-year trend is unmistakable. The South and Southwest are growing increasingly powerful. The Midwest is getting rapidly weaker. Can we turn this around? I kind of throw that out for the table. How does the Midwest turn this around, or can we?
7: Well, all I can say is people should move back to the Midwest. We have affordable housing. We don't have hurricanes or wildfires or earthquakes, and we
2: have clean water. Yeah. Can we turn this around?
6: Uh, You know, Scott, listen, uh, this this 2020 census is going to inform us, you know, terrifically. But there's another phenomenon happening that goes to turning it around and whether or not it's possible, and and that is what some people call the browning of America. Mm -hmm. last census told us that sometime around 2050 or so, there will be more people of color in the United Mm -hmm. States of America than people who are not. Don't uh, hold me to this exact date, but somewhere around 2015, I think we learned there were more children of color born for the first time in the history of the United States um, than children who were not. And so um, the question becomes, um, the, the the changing demographics of America. Where is that occurring? Right, where is this population boom and shift happening? At I imagine if you look, you'll see it's it's out west and in mm-hmm. southwest where you know there are, there are growing uh, our Latino brethren uh, are growing in, mm-hmm. in number. So um, from a, a political standpoint, I think uh, Republican strategists have to take note of this. Um, the Midwest, as Crystaliza's uh, column pointed out, definitely losing clout and power. Um, congressionally, but I think when you begin to look at that electoral map, there's implications there too. So uh, the GOP's got to begin building out a message, we've talked about this before, that increasingly resonates with every single constituency in the nation, most especially the growing trend of people of color.
2: Yeah, in the electoral view of the electoral college, still big stars on Michigan Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in in 2020, for sure. Dr. Liston?
5: I'll be brief. Absolutely. We can turn this (laughs) around. Um, It's- Well, well, policies that invest in people, and I will Mm -hmm. say that myself and I know my Democratic Caucus are really looking at making sure we do that, that we have education and housing and. You know health care that gives opportunity to individuals in our state that you can live and work and raise your family and you know have the American dream right here in Ohio and I believe we can do it
2: well you know and I'll come back to the rally in Toledo you were talking about how the, the maybe that your party needs to expand mm-hmm. it, it was it was an arena of white people mm-hmm. and, and older white people and so mm-hmm. what is talked about behind the scenes in terms of trying to get your party to again open up that tent to people of color.
6: Well, um, there's a lot of conversation about singular issues that African-American cares, uh, care about or singular issues that perhaps women or uh, or or Latinos care about. Uh, But what there has not been in Republican circles is a candidate or a dedicated and consistent effort Mm. to understand these constituencies. Mm. What happens is, you know, a year and a half before a presidential election, um, uh, money in field operatives are spent uh, going out to key African-American leaders or, or key leaders in the Latino community. But there has never been a sustained effort to simply understand mm. um, these these growing populations. And the consequence of that is that uh, our candidates are sometimes awkward uh, or fumble through um, you know, these communities who are increasingly um, a, a part of the political dynamic of America and who have long-standing presence um, in our culture. So. The GOP has to do better, but that starts not with a one-time spin. It starts with a dedicated effort. In this case, likely over decades, I think the president has put you know, the GOP back at least two decades okay. on some of these fronts. Uh, we, we need a new generation of candidates who are not just people of color, but who are people who are not of color, dedicated to people mm-hmm. of color, dedicated
2: to, dedicated to these constituencies that are growing. Okay, You were talking about the consequences politically. There may be consequences for having bad Ohio pro football teams. Maybe close on a little bit of a lighter note here this Sunday morning. Did you see the headline from a frequent guest here, Jackie Borchard of the Cincinnati Enquirer. Hey, Bengals and Browns fans, does this, do the seasons, do they got you down? Well, medical marijuana is actually proposed as a treatment. There is a petition to make for Bengals and Browns fans an official marijuana condition submitted to the state medical board. now. That's never going to fly. We know that. It, it kind of got some chuckles. In fact, it made national news. I saw some guys on ESPN talking about Bengals and Browns fans here. But let me bring it back to this. Because last year, the medical board rejected things like anxiety, autism, depression, and insomnia. Kind of throw. Let me let our, our uh, medical doctor here start us off here. Should that list be expanded in your mind for using medical marijuana for certain conditions?
5: So I'll... Put on my doctor hat um, and to answer that question. I think it's really important that when you receive a prescription from a doctor that it's been vetted um, with all of the best scientific evidence to make sure that it, it actually does what you're prescribing it for, mm-hmm. that the benefit is higher than the risk. And so I, I think that that question is really what the medical board needs to address Hmm. to study the data that we have. I mean, it it takes a lot to make sure a drug does that, that we have the right data to show efficacy. And so, you know, it's not a political question. It it shouldn't be something that's controversial. It should be about what the science shows in terms of whether it's prescribed for an indication. Okay, That's a different question um, than what many, I think, think about. And certainly the medical marijuana program has had some hiccups, but that decision, should this be prescribed for that condition, should be based on the scientific yeah. evidence.
7: And even even Ohio's um, medical marijuana program doesn't even use the words prescription because um, it's not an FDA-approved uh, mm-hmm. medication. Right. And so it's like, you know, it's like a
5: doctor's note, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, good point, I appreciate that yep. correction. Um, but still, if I'm saying this will be helpful for this disease right. as a doctor, I want to make sure that that's really the case based on the best standards.
6: Clarence Mingo. Well, as you and I have discussed, Scott, I'm I'm uh, uh, a patient mm-hmm. um, who's who's lived with Parkinsonism for some time, and and so I'm you know eligible for this particular class of drugs. But when I talk to my physicians about it, um, I always hear there are a multitude of other remedies we'd like to try okay. before we do that. Um, and uh, I still think even in the the best medical circles, there's still a little bit of reluctance about this as. Um, a go-to remedy, even for the symptoms it is being prescribed for. Um, I'm also 47 and grew up in a generation where you know marijuana is bad, pot is bad. Right. If you smoke, you're a joke. Could all be, this, right? Yeah, Could so, be a
2: gateway. Yeah, yes, So gateway. Yes. Yes, exactly. Sure.
6: Um, and and um, while I do believe, um, as Doctor Liston will likely tell you, the, from a medicinal standpoint, this this probably does have merit for a certain class of patients but there's just something in my heart and soul. Mm. I'm just deterred by it. And I think even if it were a great source of help for me, it'd be hard for me to mm. uh, take a step towards it only because of my history uh, growing up and um, understanding that marijuana in its bad form, uh, not good, mm. hard for me to appreciate yeah. it in its medicinal form. How's your health? One day at a time. Okay. Yeah, one 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 day at a time. Um, I'm fortunate to have very good uh, medical care and I know why that matters. Um, uh, but it's uh, it's a struggle each and every day, and I'm glad to be here just uh, among friends, uh, hopefully with a decent smile. So.
2: Uh, well, decent yeah. smile and, and great commentary <laughs> as always. Oh, That's going to have to do it here. Thank you. Speaking of one day at a time, we kind of take it every Sunday at a time here on Face the State. Thank you all for being here. Always appreciate it. That's again Scott Light,
0: courtesy of 10TV from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130
1: on 10TV. My I want to be a baseball player. I would be the pitcher because they get to do something all the time. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a defect in the immune system that affects millions. Early detection can give children a chance to dream. Jeffrey Modell Foundation. 25 years of helping children reach for their dreams. Visit us at info4pi.org or call (laughs) 1-866-INFO-4-PI.
0: This is Columbus' perspective on the fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and in the studio with me, he's here again. It's Dwayne Casares in the New Year. How you doing, Dwayne?
8: Happy New Year, Dave. Happy New Year to you. Let's ha- let's have a New Year resolution. Oh, yeah? What is it going to be? We'll be nice to each other. Oh, well, that's the opposite
0: of what I thought it was
8: going to be. (laughs) Dave, we can be kinder and gentler. We can set the tone for our country. We we could do
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Just you and I. Lots of luck. That's not lasting. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Dwayne is the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. Yes, I am. And if it sounds awfully familiar between the two of us, it's because he's been coming in for... I think about 12 years now, maybe.
8: Oh, and my penance isn't over yet? This should be done. (laughs) How many more years do I have left? A sentence that never ends. (laughs) Oh, my
0: gosh. So, what is Directions for you? and So We still
8: don't know after we all don't. these years. After all this time, I'm beginning to forget I'm aging so quickly. And most of that's due to spending time with you. The um, You've already the, broken our resolution. Oh, see? I knew. It took I, like 54 <laughs> seconds to break the rest of I the- knew it wouldn't last. I knew this could not last, Dave. You know um, why it is? You trigger me. That's what it is. It's, I'm, I'm, see, I'm projecting. Oh, I'm blaming. Man. I'm blaming. As a therapist, I, I know all the basic defense mechanisms that one can employ in order to not take responsibility for their behavior. Okay. Uh, we're a, a social we're just- service agency, a nonprofit. <laughs> we serve over 6,000 kids in the community. We have over uh, 70 therapists who uh, do outreach services, so uh, the counseling we provide is in the home. Um, we also have two after-school centers that have arts, dance, music, homework, help, leadership, development, and all that kind of stuff.
0: You know, before we rolled tape, we weren't talking about this, but you have an event coming up at the end of the month.
8: Oh yeah, we do. Um, winter is here. Mm-hmm. It will be at the Woodlands on Third Avenue. Um, we have a, a couple bands that will be playing, and all of it just supports our programming. January thirtieth, is that right? Yes, it's a Thursday night. Doors open at five thirty. You can find out more information on www.dfyf.org.
0: Okay. And when Dwayne comes in, we talk about something else other than all that stuff. And
8: you wanted to talk about listening. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, when you have all these devices, it's amazing. You see people with conversations and they're talking to somebody and somebody's staring at their phone. This is, we're losing this, this art of listening. And, and there is a difference between listening and hearing. But uh, uh, today, as we talk, we're really going to just collapse it to listening is really hearing the facts. Hearing is actually understanding the emotion part. So listening is really more cognitive and hearing is more uh emotional. So we've always talked cognitive, emotional, behavioral. Um those are basic domains that everything relates to. But uh yeah, listening, it just seems like um it, it's it's just being lost.
0: It can start with just remembering somebody's name when you first introduce when you're first introduced to somebody. And if you're not making a conscious effort to do that. You won't remember
8: what their name is. Right. And it, and for me, it even starts behaviorally. You gotta start with eye contact. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of funny when we're growing up. I, I don't even know if parents say this anymore, but you, I remember growing up and, and, you know, your parents saying, look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> right. Okay. Do people even say this anymore? <laughs> is it just become the norm that you don't have to look at somebody when you talk to them? I think right. that's so weird. It's almost, that's a human connection when you make eye, and I'm not saying stare. Don't stare at anybody. That's just creepy. Uh, eye contact starts. Well, it's a, it's just a simple behavioral thing. Make eye contact with the person that you're talking to. I guess put the phone down is the new, Right. Look at me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's it. That is it. That is the new one. As long as I've worked in this field, communication always is a major factor. You do family therapy, you do couples therapy, all these things. It's always a lack of communication in in businesses, in workplaces. Oh, it's just a breakdown in communication. We always talk about that. But one of the fundamental basic components of communication is listening. And I don't know that we actually spend that much time thinking about, am I a good listener? Do I listen to people? And some people who think they're good listeners are really the worst. Mm-hmm.
0: If you're in a conversation with somebody, especially if it's in a a profound situation, and you start repeating something that they were just talking about a few minutes ago, you've lost a lot of credibility. Oh yeah, and, and you don't even know it. That's the worst thing about it.
8: Yeah, because you weren't listening. <laughs> exactly. So you're too busy. So that's the other thing too. Is it's even when, when you when you. Particularly when people get into arguments, um, that's one of the biggest factors is you're not listening to what the other person is saying. You're too busy thinking about what you're going to say, or you're preparing your defense before you even let them finish what they're saying. Well, none of that is going to be productive conversation. Right. It's just, if anything, it's just going to set both people off because now you have different agendas. And we typically do this to people who are closest to us. Basic respect would say, let them finish. So, quit interrupt. When you interrupt people all the time, you're really sending them a lot of different messages. Mm-hmm. And when you're just repeating something they said, now there's a difference there. So sometimes we repeat what somebody says to check the listening. So I, I'm sorry. Let me. So what I hear you saying is, and then that way you can check whether the message they sent was received. That is active listening. But what you just alluded to is somebody repeating a whole different scenario. I just read right. something about that recently. And it's as if, did you even hear what that person, they just said that. Right. And and, and that's so dismissive. So I'm not a value to you.
0: <laughs> Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. Uh, with interviews that I do, I've gotten to the point to where I take very few notes ahead of an interview to refer to because if i get lost in my notes i'm not listening to the person who's talking right right and and the whole conversation needs to be kind of geared in the direction that the person i'm talking to wants it to go because that's why they're here in the first place
8: so what i hear you saying is (laughs) no but that that's absolutely right that's conversation right and that's meaningful conversation that says i value you I value what you have to say. I'm not making judgments. If you already have all these other things and you're not being open-minded, that's another thing that sometimes people aren't. Um, it doesn't mean, being open-minded doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say. But at least, uh, you know, have the decency to respect what they're offering in that conversation. Um, and then take the time to, you know, kind of uh, uh, ponder it or, or, or what have you. Just so that they, feel, they can feel like, you don't. what you don't want to do is send messages like, uh, uh, your opinion doesn't matter. And that's what happens often when we cut people off and interject what we think. Um that and, and so then we wonder why this doesn't this escalate into an unfriendly conversation.
0: That seems like especially can be a problem in a family structure. Because oh, yeah. where they all know each other so well anyway, they know yes. how each other thinks. Right. Then they get to the point where they don't even have to be listening when somebody's talking.
8: Yeah, because I know what you're gonna say anyway. Right. Kind of like the twelve years that we've spent together, Dave.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
8: Even at times, if you get lost in something, asking clarifying questions can be good, too. You can say things like, help me understand something. Uh, And and when you're doing that, you're actually asking for help. Um, and, And that's a much better thing than saying, what are you talking about, Willis? I mean, it's, a. Uh, there, we just aged ourselves once again. Have <laughs> to people, who is Willis? Who is Willis? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. And they're on their phone now <laughs> looking it up. And they're not going to be hearing us now because they're looking on their phone. See? They're not <laughs> listening anymore, Dave. We shut <laughs> I down I didn't the... do it. You didn't. <laughs> oh, now you're blaming. You're blaming me. Oh, I see. This is exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. Interviews with therapists are no fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that that could be a whole show in itself. We could do
0: that. It's a <laughs> so uh, do you find that it's more often, since uh, Directions for Youth and Families spends a lot of time with families and kids, is it more often that the kids aren't listening to the parents or the parents aren't listening to the kids?
8: It's both. It is absolutely both. Um, but because there's a power differential, because the parents are over the kid in a sense – um, not in all families, um, but traditionally, then they have the authority. So that ends up impacting you know, that, that community. But if I talk to both of them individually, they say the same things. She doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to us. Mm-hmm. And that's what they say. They don't respect me. He don't respect me. I mean, it's really, I, I, when, when, when I talk to families at times, it's kind of like, you all want the same thing. You want to be heard. You want to be listened to. You want to feel respected. You both want the same thing. We just got to figure out how we're going to get there. But the great thing is you want you have the same goal. And sometimes listening is just all you need to do. Sometimes people don't want advice. If they want advice, they'll ask you for it. They really will. I often think about this even in times of grieving or, or things like that. You know, we feel like we have to have solutions for it. Or we feel like we have to tell a story that we, how it happened to us, um, because then that means I can relate to where you're at. How about just being quiet? Mm -hmm. how about just being there sometimes they just want to be heard often when we go into a crisis situation it isn't we're not there to resolve it we're there just to listen because sometimes they just got to get these emotions out and that's the biggest step we can take with them in a first session is allow all of that to just be dumped on the table because they've had it all inside of them you don't have to offer a solution to it you can work together towards a solution later but that's going to get clouded if they're still stuck with all this muck inside of them that's just got them all bound up.
0: Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. You mentioned most of the time it's the parents who uh, lead, have the power in a, mm-hmm. in, the, in that situation, but not always. No. So when the situation is reversed, which is very dysfunctional, it seems to me. Yeah. It seems like sometimes maybe even the parents might be afraid of the kid if, if it's that situation.
8: Yeah, those dynamics, there really is a huge continuum of that. I mean, honestly, you know, sometimes kids have to be the parent because That's of substance yeah. use things and there's right. other kids in the home and they need to take care of them. And, and, and- country singer Shania
0: Twain, uh, when her parents were killed in a car crash or whatever happened, was like the parent and she was. Not even a teenager yet. I don't.
8: Yeah, sometimes, and we work with, with with a lot of kids where that ends up being the situation, and we do have to process with them. You know, does this stink that you've been thrust into this role and have to get? Yeah, it does. You know, but these are the cards on the table right now, mm-hmm. and you know, you got younger siblings who have less ability than you do. So, I mean, we're going to assist you, we're going to help you, and we're going to do all we can. You know, to to get a support network around you so that this works, but you are going to have to step up here. Because your parent at this point, whether they're in recovery or whether they're uh, in jail or whatever, um, they've got to work through some things before this whole thing's going to be able to go piece, be pieced back together. And way at the other end of the spectrum is when the, we subcontract our parenting or we just don't play a very strong role in it, and we just let the kid do whatever they want. Uh, you know, this whole thing, oh, let them explore, let them this. You know, when you do this from two, three, four, five, and don't put parameters around behaviors, or language, or the way you address each other, and now when they're 15, they're talking to you the same way, or they're pushing you, or they're doing, well, these are patterns that just didn't start overnight. Um, And and some parents have chosen not to parent. And when they just go ahead and give that up, what do you think is going to happen? Kids do need structure. People need structure. Everyone needs boundaries. And, And a big part of that is just so that we're safe. And unfortunately, when you get to the point of being, you know, they're 16. At 16, in less than two years, they're going to be an adult. They continue to treat like people like that in the community. They're going to end up in jail or shot. Or, and there are a lot of bad things can happen. So, yeah, just that that's a whole different thing when you're talking about subsets and roles of people within family structures. Uh, there are things that are healthy and there are things that are unhealthy.
0: And it seems like the, uh, a root cause of that could be that when the kid was three, Uh, they weren't listening, or at least they weren't hearing what you were telling the kid to do.
8: Yeah, and that's why you want to imprint these types of patterns early on. Um, You let them know that what you say matters, but as an adult, they are three. At at three, I'm going to have to make many decisions for you Mm -hmm. because I have to teach you to be responsible so that by the time you're 13, you can make responsible decisions on your own. And yes, 13-year-olds can make responsible decisions. Let's be clear about that. This helicopter parenting, where people just end up making all the decisions for their kids, is not healthy. Um, It's just not. Uh, How then? Then they complain about them not being responsible. Well, they never had to be. You took all the responsibility for them. When you take responsibility for their behavior, then they don't. They don't have to because you did it.
0: And you mentioned. uh, I remember on a show a while back, you said one of the uh, a great way to to get into the practice of allowing kids to make decisions or. Putting out a couple of options for clothes to wear to school so that neither one will be
8: wrong. Right. And let them choose what And let them choose. That means you value me as a human being and you value my right to choose. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a very simple thing. And I, I've always shared it one time. I remember what it was with my son. And I said, well, you can either have this or have that. And he says, well, I don't choose either one of those. <laughs> I said, well, there's no other choice on the table. So you can have to pick one or I'm picking. <laughs> right. <It's laughs> that's where you're at the edge of the cliff and yeah. you have to make sure you don't go over. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, smarty pants, hold up. You're three. <laughs> we don't need to go there yet. Dwayne Casares,
0: he's the CEO Directions for Youth and Families. If folks want more info about your agency, Dwayne, what do they do?
8: They can check us out on the web, dfyf.org, or call our intake department, 614-294-2661. All right, thanks for coming in, Dwayne. Thank you, Dave.
0: This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS-AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.